You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. I believe that God has you here for a specific reason. I believe that God wants to do some work in your life today, but it's going to require some work from you for what God wants to work in you to actually happen. And so we're going we're gonna to interact a little bit today, and I want you to just get on board with that. But let me just say, as I've said all along this series, in this series on spiritual warfare, there's some of you in this room, uh, you're like, I, I don't know, I don't, I, don't yeah, I believe in angels and demons, but I don't always see them behind every circumstance in life. And, and you're, you evaluate the evidence. And I just want to say good for you because that means you're steady. It means you're evaluating the evidence. You're not just blindly believing something or following an emotion only. And I want to say good for you. I also want to say that there are some of you in this room that you see the enemy or a demon behind every tree or life experience or circumstance. And I want to say good for you because you are actually spiritually sensitive. You can walk into a place and kind of sense, is is this a good place or a bad place? And, And I want to say good for you because you're spiritually sensitive. But God did not create us all equal. He created us as individuals. And so what I'm asking during this series is that you give the other side grace. And if you will do that during this series, will you say amen? All right, so here's why you need this sermon today, uh, because you brought something in with you today, and I want to help you get free of it. Uh, What did you bring in today? Just shout out, help me out here a little bit. What what did you bring with you? Like, think of your pockets. What you got? What you got? Phone. All right, purse. What else? Wallet. All right, yeah, wallet. That's that's the number one answer. Uh, I I do see a Starbucks back there. That's why we do not have carpet in here, amen? Hey, spill all you want. You know, we'll just mop it up. It's okay. We, we like that. We like you to be able to bring coffee in and all that. But one of the things you bring in typically is your wallet. And your wallet is actually, this is maybe an interesting thought, but your wallet is your authority. If you just go to Starbucks and say, hey, I'd like a Starbucks, and they say, well, uh, it'll cost you this much, and you're like, no, I will have that Starbucks, they will just laugh at you. They'll laugh at you. Because they're going to demand that you bring your authority, that you bring the power that you have to pay uh, to the register, and then you can pay. Uh, You have the authority if you brought your wallet. That's like having authority in your life. You brought that with you. Uh, If you brought your keys with you, that's your authority, that you're like, I'm the one who's driving. I I saw a brand new driver who just got her license this week, and she was driving her mom here today. I gave them grief about, hey, could you just straighten this car out in the parking lot? She did great. She parked perfectly. But let me just tell you, hey, for that family... The daughter brought the authority today. She has the keys. Amen. Isn't that hard to relinquish parents, right? The first time you relinquish that, like, you know, and you're silently praying, you know, Lord, please save my life or the lives of other people. Oh, and of course, help my son and my daughter, right? That we, you give the authority. Who has the authority? What did you bring in with you today? I believe that there are times that you and I have had life experiences or made agreements that at certain times have given authority to spirits other than God's Holy Spirit. And sometimes we carry them around with us and they're irritating and it's bothersome and we're not quite sure what to do with it and we want to teach you today how to renounce any area that you've given authority to any other spirit than God's Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 16. A mom in Elk Grove, I want to read this to you. She went through a really, her family went through a really tough experience with spiritual warfare, something none of you would ever wish upon yourself. Uh, But she writes this encouragement really to you, and she shares this, I'll read it, quote, our family endured a traumatic experience with spiritual warfare. The nature of this experience is one that we don't hear of often in our United States culture. 
This experience was blatant, obvious, and scary, which led us to the emergency room thinking that something was physically wrong. But God provided us with a clear understanding of what was actually happening and surrounded us with strong support. We had to learn our true identity and who we are in Christ. We were supported, strengthened, and through his power, this brutal battle was won. And this is what she says to y'all. She says, if you are experiencing spiritual warfare and are left confused, scared, or alone, please seek the Lord first and then seek the counsel and the support of a trusted and grounded Christian friend. She said this, rest assured that you are not crazy. Some of you experienced some things. Let me tell you, you are not crazy. You are not crazy. She says, rest assured you are not crazy. You are loved beyond measure and that God has this under control. Will you give it up for that kind of just experience? I wish I could tell you everything about it. But we've watched the power of the name of Jesus bring victory in amazing ways in that situation and freedom for that family. And it's been a beautiful thing to behold. And I want you to understand, Tim, that even when bad things happen, God is under control. He has a plan. He will even leverage what the enemy intends for awful things that happen to bring good out of it, to bring a witness to his strength, to increase your trust, to increase your faith in him. And that's what we're seeing today when we look at the scriptures. As we begin to look at these scriptures, we see Paul, the apostle, and he's traveling around. He's now out of the region that is predominantly Jewish. He's out of that whole part of the Mediterranean. He's gone up north, and he's in part to Greece, and he's wandering around, and he's promoting, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's doing that, normally what they would do is they would go into a synagogue, because that's where the Jewish people they would start with first would kind of gather, and be a gathering place, a place that they could lecture, a place that they could unpack the scriptures. But they're, they're way outside of Israel. There's no synagogues in these towns. These are largely Greek cities. And so as he's going around, they, they say, hey, we're going to start something here. We want to see if the Lord will open the door for the gospel to be believed and then start a church, but we're going to go down and we're going to pray. So they have to find a place of prayer. They don't have a synagogue in the area. So the place to pray that they would typically go is they would gather their group of believers and they would go down typically by a body of water. So it's like down by the river or it would be like, isn't there something, by the way, about going down by the river, right? Or maybe it's like Lake Tahoe or the river over here, or you're at the beach, and you just want to like, there's just something about being by a body of water, you know what I'm talking about? That just is very, very cool, and just wants to draw your heart to the fact that God is bigger than us, and, and life is bigger than just our circumstances, and, and so they would go down to the river to pray, and so we've got Paul, we've got Silas, and the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's very specific about details. He's written the gospel of Luke, which is the the account of Jesus Christ and his ministry. He's investigated it. He's found all the details. He wasn't there for all that, but he found out the details and he writes the gospel of the book of Luke. Now in Acts, the early church starts and Luke is actually a part of that. So the gospel of Luke is his investigative reporting on the life of Christ. The book of Acts is his first account witness to what's going on. And so in Acts chapter 16, if you open your Bibles there, we're going to stick in this passage for quite a while. If you have a Bible on your phone or in your possession, then uh, go ahead and pull that out. Acts chapter 16, begin with verse 16. It says this, once when we were going to the place of prayer, remember they're going down by the river. They're, uh, by the way, they're in the 
town of Philippi, where we get Philippians from. It says, we, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of what? Money, right? Hang on to that thought. You're going to need it. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She could tell who, you know, is going to win the World Series. It's going to be the Indians or the Cubs. Now, you will have an opinion about that, but apparently this gal could tell. And if you were a betting person, that might come in handy, right? That's kind of what's going on there. And these uh, people who own her are earning a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for what? Many days. Yeah, you said that really mildly. Like, oh yeah, like many days. No irritated you would be? Think about that. She kept this up for many days. Could you imagine just going to work and someone walking behind you the whole time? This person is a child of God. They want to tell you how to be saved. How many of you would have to leave work? You know, you'd have to go home. You had to do something different, right? Because that would just be irritating, right? So, well, this, this woman, she follows them around. Apparently, she stopped her fortune-telling responsibilities, and she's following them around because these guys are in town, and she is saying this for many days. Well, you and I would be irritated too, right? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. By the way, I think the word there is actually ticked off. It's like mild. It's, he, he became uh, so annoyed. No, he's mad, right? This many days. So annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Let me time out right there. So they're publicly shamed. They are now naked in public. They're stripped. They are now beaten with rods. These rods would be like hollow rods. And under the law, the Roman law, you were allowed to flog or severely beat a person up to 40 times with that rod. This would be the kind of hit that when it hits you so hard that your skin actually tears, it swells, it tears. And they were beaten severely for preaching the good news of Jesus under this false accusation by these guys who just lost a bunch of money, they think. And they were thrown into jail. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into jail, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks, right? So he put them in the inner cell. What's the inner cell? That's like the dungeon. What happens there? Typically torture. There's stocks already conveniently in the inner cell. They're making sure there's no way these guys are getting out. They're not only in the jail. They're in, you know, they're, they're not in solitary confinement, but they are confined together. And they're not only that, put in the jail cell, but they're put their feet in stocks. These guys are not getting out. They are carefully guarded. And, and the reason is because in that day and age, if you were told to carefully guard prisoners and you're the jailer in charge of the responsibility of the jail, if people escape, it's like a life for a life. If a life escapes, then it's the jailer's life. We can always get a new jailer. But if someone escapes, it's your life. So when it says he was ordered to guard them carefully, make no question about what that threat meant. It goes on and says this. 
At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and he saw the prison doors open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house, right? So they understand it. So then at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then he immediately, he and all his household were baptized. Like 3 a.m., baptism, right? Like we believe, we're baptized, we're caring now for your wounds, we're, we're undoing the wrongs in a sense that have been done to you. And they were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And that's the response of people when they come to believe in God. When they put their faith, not in a, in a religion or in a fake God, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the living God, the response of the forgiven heart is joy. It just is. And so now he's, his circumstances haven't changed. Still got to repair the jail. Still got to take care of the prisoners. Still got to do what he's got to do. But his heart is now filled with joy. He's no longer a slave to fear. But he's a child of God. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. He's thinking this is good news, right? Paul says this to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. Now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. And the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, and they escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. All this stuff is going on. All these things are happening, but I want to rewind, and if you're taking your outline today, you're going to need it, and um, we're going to look at some stuff all over that outline in a little bit, but what I want you to understand first, and I'm going to ask you a question. We think back to this woman, this slave girl. She's possessed by an evil spirit, and, and she's got this irritating voice. What she's saying is true. These are from the Most High God. These men are telling about the Most High God and the way to be saved. That's true. She's not lying. She's telling the truth. But it's irritating, and my question for you is, what irritating voices or statements keep following you around? What irritating voices or statements keep following you around? You say, what do you mean? These would be the statements, the voices that keep accusing you. The ones that attack your identity in Christ. The ones that deflate you. The ones that make you want to lose hope. The ones that make you want to give up. The voices that cause stress in your life. 
You're just overstressed. You're all worked up, and these things just keep working you up. Our culture's all worked up right now, aren't we? You can't wait till election ads are over. We're all worked up. We're all stressful. We're, we all wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen in our future? We're, we're all worked up. We're distracted. What irritating voices or statements keep following you? Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's pressure. Maybe you're deflated, feeling attacked. Or worse, maybe you're puffed up. You're thinking of yourself as way better than you actually are. You don't care. You're above the world. You're all puffed up. And the problem, as we've talked with being puffed up, is you can be very easily deflated. What irritating voices or statements are following you around? So these guys are going down to the place of prayer. And on the way, this slave girl who's possessed follows them and is irritating, and this starts happening for many days. And I just going to tell you something. Listen, uh, when you come to a church that believes in prayer and where the Spirit of God is moving you're going to meet some really weird people. You just are. You're going to meet some people who are, who are irritating people. And you're going to have to extend extra grace because the church is the right place for them to start figuring out, how in the world do I experience freedom? They're thinking, I, I, maybe I think I'm crazy. And you're going, yeah, I think you are crazy. You know, you're irritating at least. That's what we know. But you need to extend extra grace because God loves the heart of the woman in bondage, her condition of slavery in that culture didn't change, but her freedom in Christ changed immeasurably. She could be a slave of the child of God. But what irritating voices are following you around? And sometimes you'll meet irritating people. They need Jesus. Listen, sometimes the irritating voice that follows you around came from a relative. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was an uncle, maybe it was that person who always belittles you, always attacks you. You've been victimized by this voice your whole life, and that voice, even if the person's not there, that voice is following you around, and whenever you think of it, you get angry about it. You start to just feel deflated by that voice, and, and, and I, know, I know you would never do this, but you know, I'm not saying you would ever ask God to kill someone. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there are times that maybe you said, God, um, I just want to let you know that if it's this relative's time, <laughs> Thanksgiving would be a lot more thankful for all of us. It'd be a lot nicer, wouldn't it? Right? You would never just ask outright. Sure. Sometimes those voices are following us around, and maybe it's not actually that person. Maybe it is the evil one attacking your character, attacking your heart, attacking your effectiveness. My question is this, not the source of the voice is not necessarily the person. It wasn't the slave girl. It was a spirit inside her. So let me ask again with that knowledge, what's the source of the voices that are following you around and irritating you? Maybe you need to take a stand in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, spiritual warfare is a tension. Sometimes it's a stress, right? Listen, we're in totally stressful times right now. Politics stresses us out. Work stresses us out. Family stresses us out. I'm going to give you, by the way, I'm going to give you a free suggestion. This is not in your notes. It's not a fill in the blank or anything. This is just for me. It's, it's for free. I want to tell you, listen, if politics and stuff are stressing you right now, turn it off. Turn it off. Do it. Yeah, clap with that. Turn that thing off. Turn it off. 
I'm not minimizing the importance of voting. I'm not minimizing the importance of issues in our culture. I'm just saying that it can be a distraction, that it can raise your stress. And what I want to tell you is this. Listen, if it seems like you're watching politics and you're getting all worked up and it doesn't seem like the Republicans have a good enough plan and it doesn't seem like the Democrats have a good enough plan, here's what I want you to know. God has a plan. No matter what happens to our country, God causes nations to rise. He causes nations to fall. We don't know where we are in that. We have guesses. But God can do what God wants to do. Here's my point. Irrespective of whoever takes office, God has a plan. And you need to rest in that. That God has a plan for his church. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for hope. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for you. And I want you to know that you can rest in that. But the enemy wants you and I to get all wigged out and stressed out. So we start trusting the earthly kingdom and what it's going to look like instead of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and his kingdom. God has a plan, and maybe that's all you need to hear today. I have a friend who said this. Listen, he said, if the church could survive Nero, it can survive whoever takes office. What kingdom are you living for? Rest in God's plan. He has a plan. Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. What happened? We're trying to plant a church. We're trying, we got false accusations. This plan seems to be coming apart. And what happens? There's these irritating voices that have been following you around, and maybe God's saying, shut it off and listen to my voice. Listen to my plan. Walk in my peace. On your outline, the number one threat for what you will trust is money. I want you to understand that. That's the nature of the selfish. That's the nature of the lost, that they think the only source for their life is money. So the question is, will you love and trust money or will you love and trust God? That's the question. It's an issue of deity. Who's going to be God in your life? Are you going to love and trust money or are you going to love and trust God? What happens is stress and life circumstances cause you and I to begin to reach for security. But the reason we reach for security instead of just being secure, is fear. And fear grabs a hold of you, and it will cause you to start to reach for whatever I can do that's security. And so here these slave owners are going, hey, we got security because we got the girl who can tell the future. Well, that demon gets cast out, and guess what? Now they're like, hey, we've been unjustly, our business just went you know, to wreck. We don't have that. So all their fears come up. They bring these false accusations. They attack Paul and Silas and get everybody else to go along with it. Why? Because they loved and trusted money. We are to love people and use things. But these slave owners, they are using people so they can love things. That's what they're doing. They don't care about the girl. They don't care about her trappedness with this spirit inside of her. All they care about is making money because they can buy stuff and have big life. God tells you and me that we're to love people and use things, but when we get those two backwards... We just show that we love and trust money instead of loving and trusting God. The number one threat for what you will trust is money. Some of you are saying, you know what, Dave, we're, I know we're talking about spiritual warfare in this series, but I don't really face spiritual warfare. You want to know why sometimes you don't face spiritual warfare? It's because you love and trust money. Because the enemy's going, dude, you're fine. 
You've got like a false God in your life and you're fine with that and you're going to reach to that for your source and I'm, ne- I'm not threatened because you never reach to God for your source. You reach into loving and trusting money. You go, so you won't face spiritual warfare. But others of us do. I'm going to go to point four and then back to point three because as I walk through this message, I realize I had them in the wrong order. So I want to walk to point four. There's no fill in the blank, but I want you to see this pattern. In this scripture we just read, we saw that these voices led to imprisonment. Imprisonment leads to torture. Torture leads to prayer. Prayer leads to freedom. Freedom leads to joy, and joy encourages others. That's the nature of this story that we just looked through. If we were to outline it, this is the outline, right? Joy encourages others. That's what they did. They didn't leave the city immediately. They went back and encouraged the people who were all at Lydia's house. You say, who's Lydia? Well, when you read the book of Acts, you find out that she is an early convert, and then the church in Philippi started to meet at Lydia's house. That's where it started to meet, and that was the beginning of the church in that city. And so they're all there hiding because why? Paul and Silas got thrown in jail. They're all there hiding because they need the encouragement from one another. Well, that joy is going to lead to encouragement, but let me tell you this. If you're stuck, if you're stuck in the voices, if you're stuck giving away authority to a false authority in your life, then you really have no influence. You're just stuck. And God loves you enough that he doesn't want you and me to be stuck any longer. He wants you and I to be free. And so he gives us his authority as sons and daughters of the Most High God to renounce and cancel out other authorities in our lives. So back to point three. The jailer was afraid for his life, but now he experiences joy as the result of saving belief in Jesus Christ. Remember, he's afraid. He's got his sword out. He's ready to kill himself. And let me tell you, some of you, you you're your life is shaken. Your hope is shaken. Some of you are trapped. Fear has convinced you that all hope is fled and that you've got your sword out and you're ready to harm your future. Because that's what happens when you have the death of hope, right? If you want to conquer a nation, just crush their hope. When hope is gone, then people do one of three things. People at that point will self-harm They'll self-medicate or they'll sabotage. Self-harm, self-medicate, or sabotage. And isn't that the condition of our culture? We're living in a culture that is facing the loss of hope. But we are the people who have the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a whole culture who is stressed out beyond belief. But we have God who is not only a God, but he's the God of peace. And sometimes when you get stressed out, when you get overwhelmed, when your fear causes you to lose all hope, you sabotage, you self-harm, or you self-medicate. And listen, that's the moment when you see someone else doing that, maybe a family member or a friend or someone else, that's the moment where you as a believer step into their life and you say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We'll come along and encourage you will show you how you can have joy in your life. In fact, sometimes you see people self-harming and self-medicating, and you see them sabotaging their life. They're going to wreck their life by the time they're 40. You're going to wreck their life by the time they're 30. And you see it happening, and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can say anything. Say something. Say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We'll show you where there's joy. Bring them into a place where they can be encouraged, where they can renew and find hope. And you know what might happen? They might say, well, What must I do to be saved? 
So Paul and Silas, when they get out, they go and encourage the people at Lydia's house. Picture the jailer with me for a minute. Okay, the scripture's kind of funny because it's like the jailer woke up and he went down to jail. Well, the reason he woke up is because there was an amazingly powerful earthquake. Everybody was awake. It didn't matter. It's middle of the night. Everybody wakes up. And like any good, you know, if it happened to you, you'd run down to your business. If you had a business in town, you would run down after an earthquake like that to check, is it okay? Is everything in order? And that's what the jailer does. And he gets down there and he, and he thinks, he thinks, oh my goodness, look at that. It not only is a powerful earthquake, it not only shook the foundations of the prison, but all the doors flew open and all the chains have become loose. I want you to understand that this is not just a physical earthquake. This literally is a spiritual earthquake. The doors don't fly open, everybody's chains become loose in a regular earthquake. And the jailer knows they could all be out, my job could be alive, and he goes from experiencing wanting to commit self-harm, and, and literally he's just thinking, I'm going to expedite the, the tension, I'm going to expedite the process, I'm, I'm going to expedite, the, it's just better if I just kill myself than if I let them have their way with me. And so he's ready to kill himself, but he finds joy as a result of saving belief in Jesus Christ. Before the earthquake strikes, what are Paul and Silas doing? They're praying, and they're singing, and the scripture said that all the other prisoners are listening to them. So I got to let you know, this is not the kind of prayer they weren't like, Jesus, please, please help us. Our bodies really hurt right now. No, they were like whispering, right? They're praying out loud. Like if the other prisoners are hearing what's going on, they're praying out. They're praying in the loss of hope, in the midst of horrible circumstances. They are speaking out loud, reaching to the God of hope. They are speaking to the one place their hope is, to Jesus Christ. They're calling to him. And then what happens, they begin to sing. They're not singing because they're happy. They're singing because they have joy and there's a big difference. They've had a horrible day. They have an incredibly stressful day. It's not what they planned. But they are singing Praise to God for who he is. They were singing it out, and they weren't like, this little light of mine. Like, they weren't quite, no, they were probably singing. They are singing it out. And everybody else is listening. That's what's happening right there. Everybody else is listening in because it's such a different response to stress than the last guy who was in the shackles, the last guy who was in the stocks. They know, hey, if you're in the inner jail, it's not going to go good for you. But this response is so different. So different that when their chains become loose, they don't go anywhere. They're kind of curious about what is going on too. Listen, how you and I respond to stress can be the difference between someone asking, how can I be saved, and someone going to hell. On your outline, other prisoners, right, they're watching, they're hearing your story Tell them how the name of Jesus frees you. It's the gospel first. See, I, I want you to understand something. You say, Dad, this is great, but I want you to think about how you respond to stress. Come on, let's be honest. Let's think of how you respond to stress. Okay, I'm on social networking, so are you. And so often the way we respond to stress is we blow up and we express, oh my gosh, this life is crazy and I can't believe this happened and how dare that person disrespect me and we, we blow up all over social media, Right? And then maybe you go to God and you're like, okay, whew, whew, all right, I got to forgive. I got to have peace. I got to, all right, Lord. You, and you, but the thing is, you never circle back. You never circle back and let everyone else know that though you were being real and though you had all this stress, that you actually have hope in your life. And they look at your life and they say, how are you any different than me? 
the prisoners are looking at Paul and Silas and going, they have something we don't. And they're experiencing real stress. They're not being fake. They're not putting on a happy face. They're not being freakishly Jesus-like. No, they're, they're basically reaching to their hope in the midst of hopelessness. And the other prisoners are looking and going, what is that? Because I don't have it. I don't respond that way. I respond to reaching for money. I respond to reaching for control. I respond to reaching for self-respect. Let me just tell you how you and I respond to the stresses that we will face in life can make all the difference for those who are watching and hearing. I'm not asking you to be fake. I'm not asking you to put on a happy face and be like, I'm never stressed. No, you are, and so am I. Let me tell you something. When you preach a series on spiritual warfare, you get it more than all the rest of the year. I hardly slept last night. But there's a powerful name of Jesus that overcomes all that, that sustains through that. I'll be tired this afternoon, but I'm good now. Jesus is good. He brings his hope, but there's a very real evil one who doesn't want you to hear what the Lord has to say for you today. Others are watching and listening to how you and I handle stress. Listen, there are times that you and I need to pray, and did they pray silent? No, they prayed out loud. There are times that you and I need to sing, and are we singing kind of in our heart, making a little joy? No, we're singing out loud, or lifting up the name of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do today. We want to clean your house. Clean your house. Renounce past spiritual involvements. You say, Dave, what in the world is that? We're going to renounce past spiritual involvements. What does that look like? We've got a worksheet in your program. So your program look, right, looks like this. I want you to open up to the middle. In the middle, there's a whole sheet here. And I want you to engage with this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a pen. And once you begin to mark down some different things on here that you've been involved with, this is basically a non-Christian spiritual experience history which means that you've just been in different experiences that are not Christ-like experiences, but sometimes these are the credit cards that you give authority to make debt in your life. These experiences, and let me say, as you're going through this list, this list is not all-encompassing. There could be other things. There's a blank there you can fill in. And my, let me also say, if you read something on this list and you don't know what it is, you didn't do that. If you don't know what it is, let me just be honest, you didn't do that. But sometimes innocently, sometimes out of curiosity, sometimes just out of, hey, everybody said that this was a good thing to do, you may or may not have opened up the authority in your life to a spirit who's not the Holy Spirit. And the way that we break the power of that is we renounce having been involved in those activities. And so there's some good questions for you, but I want you to look at the very bottom. Will you look at these last two little paragraphs right here at the bottom with me? It says this, you're going to pray, Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to guard my heart, my mind, reveal to me any and all involvement I've had, either knowingly or unknowingly, with cultic or occultic practices, false religions, false teachers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then below it, this is how you renounce, and you do it out loud. There's no silent renouncing. I don't believe in it. I don't think it works. I don't believe the enemy is under any compulsion to obey your silence. Everything we see is Jesus spoke to his spirit. Everything we see is that Paul spoke to the spirit that was attacking and oppressing and irritating. He spoke out loud, and I believe that that's the practice of Christians and has been, and this is what we do. So then you're going to say, Lord, I confess that I've participated in, let's say, uh, astrology. So Lord, I confess I participated in astrology. I ask your forgiveness, and I renounce astrology. 
as a counterfeit to true Christianity. You now are bringing in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ into a non-Christian spiritual experience that you've had. I have a friend uh, of my parents. When she was young, she played with an Ouija board with friends and she asked it, what's the name of the man I'm gonna marry someday? And that thing controlled by a demon lied to her, gave her a name. And she said, it took me so many years to renounce that name as a lie because I believed it, but when I brought the authority of Jesus Christ in there, I renounced that name because it was not the name of the man that I've been happily married to for years. Listen, there are times that you and I, it's like handing a credit card away and saying, you can use this to irritate me, to pressure me, to raise the fees, to bring debt into my life. And it's time for you and I today to cancel the debts cut the credit card. It's time for you and I today to cancel out these non-Christian spiritual experiences. Somebody asked me about yoga on here. Let me just explain that real quick. Most yoga experiences, yes, most yoga, most yoga uh, positions are worship experiences to, for, to foreign gods. They're positions of worship to Hindu and other gods. And you may not know that. You may just think, oh, it's this exercise. It helps me with my stretching. It does that. And I believe there's some people who can practice and it's good for their stretching. I believe other people empty themselves and open themselves up in those positions of worship to things they just didn't know they were opening themselves up to. You're going to have to discern in your life. I'm not just out attacking one thing. I'm just saying, listen, understand the bigger picture. And if that's been a way that has entered any door into your life, then renounce it. Christ knows the dividing lines there. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.